you side. Welcome to Let's Talk, a place for open conversations. Sam Hyung is a passionate advocate and a vibrant voice for the Asian American community, whose work is vital in this historic time. Sam works as an activist, chairperson of the Massachusetts Asian American Commission, and the host of the podcast Real Talk Tuesdays, created by the nonprofit organization Hate Is a Virus. As the Asian American community begins to empower ourselves. And raise our voice, educating ourselves, engaging in uncomfortable conversations, and committing to anti-racism is something we all can learn and participate in. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm very, very excited to get to have this conversation with you. And so, uh, let's get started. Well, Sam, where are you right now? Let's let everybody know globally. Where are you located? I'm uh, in the Greater Boston area, so uh, this is where I was born and raised, uh, and and where I call home. So, well, you're obviously a fellow Asian American, and I've been listening to a lot of your talks out there and information that you're sharing out there, and it's what a crazy time for for people of color, for Asian Americans, for community that's been marginalized, that we are all rising up to the surface. And at this time, we hear a lot of noises, a lot of, a lot of action that's happening. And I'm so happy to hear your noise out there and your voices out there to bring up a lot of things that you've been talking about that is very uncomfortable for, especially the Asian community to talk about. We are not the type of group of uh, community that, that make a lot of noise. We're the silent workers, the culturally we put our head down and we work really hard. So when I got the opportunity to learn about you a little bit and listen to your podcast, I was so proud and honored to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I, I think first and foremost, I have to definitely say that I'm not the only one that's speaking up, and I'm not the only, I'm not the first to have done that. And there's so many Asian Americans who have been paving the way, that have been pounding the pavement, that have been um, really speaking up for our community. And so I think that actually would push back a little bit on the fact that we're silent is that there's a difference between us being silent and there's a difference between us not being heard. And so part of that is that Asian Americans, many of us, we actually play into that notion that we're silent, that we don't speak up um, when we also don't take into account our history here is a lot different than uh, many other communities. And so I think that especially right now, it's, you know, while it's definitely, um, an unprecedented time, you know, given the, the, the state of the world right now, uh, for people of color, particularly the black community, this is just more of the same. It's just being, it's just more at the forefront. So I, I wouldn't actually say that it is a crazy time, but one of actually just like what's actually different, different besides the fact that there are more white people that actually now are recognizing, Oh my God, we have a big problem. And, and where did this, activism come came from for you when did you found your voice that you felt the need and the necessity to to be the voice so it really starts from when i was a kid and i think when i was younger growing up in a predominantly white neighborhood uh, that's liberal uh that is you know there are asian american 
people here. But for me, it's like always like I was every time someone was saying something racist to me or bigoted or prejudiced and I would speak up for myself, it was always, oh, relax, calm down. It's just a joke. Right. And it was always silence. My pain was always uh, mitigated to not being one of hate, but one of it's just a joke. And this is a, this is your fault. Right. Which is language of the oppressor is that shifting the blame onto me not actually taking accountability for the words that they're saying. And so I ended up rejecting my Asian heritage until I was 22, until I was in, my, you know, cause I wanted to be able to do what I was passionate about without ha- having my identity be used against me. Um, and that was, I guess, looking back, that's part of my own rebellion. But then as I've gotten older, I realized like I need to say something. And I, and, and that a lot of it came from seeing all my heroes who were black men, like Dr. King or Stokely Carmichael, uh, you know, Tupac Shakur, Barack Obama. And I realized like that not, as much as I resonate with what all they're saying, I'm a, I'm not black. Um, and B, I didn't see a lot of Asian heroes, people who re- also really resonated with my story. So I started speaking up, I made a lot of mistakes along the way, have been called in, called out a lot, has to edu- re- edu- unlearn and relearn a lot of things. And I'm still in that process. So I wouldn't even say that I'm the voice. I'm absolutely not. I'm a voice. Um, the voice would be all of the, uh, the the black civil rights leaders, the people who have paved the way before us, all the um, Asian American leaders and organ- organizers and activists that are still out there right now. They are the voice. I am just a voice in this uh, greater movement. Well, thank you for being part of that voice. And having that voice as an Asian American, you are second generation and you mm-hmm. grew up as an American. And I don't know if you find this true, but for me personally, I definitely have never felt more Asian than this moment in time, whether or not it's self-reflecting, look in the mirror and understand what I'm looking back at is the true me or do, do the fact that noises out there that is the, the, the name of, of Kung flu, the, the political climate of, of just the racial divisions. It made me really realize what color meant. For me, I grew up thinking that being colorblind is the way to live. As a photographer, my my eyesight, what I see and how I photograph, it is my journey. It's how it develops me and how it builds my identity. And for the longest time, you know, I always thought that being colorblind is the way to go through this industry. In fact, I celebrated being colorblind. A lot of my clients are, are people of color and they have they given me the most amazing opportunity to work with them from the A-listers of Janet Jackson to, to philanthropists like Tara Banks, who gave me opportunity to be on TV. I have to say, it wasn't until doing this time that we get to reflect and also hear the noises for me to then hear myself clearly that I am Asian American. And so hearing you that rejecting your race for a long time, I completely understand. And as a, as a first-generation American, did not speak, as a first-generation Asian American, I didn't speak English when I landed in this country, age of 13, 14. And, and racism was oblivious to me because I didn't speak the language. And it wasn't until I began to learn the language that all the things I was laughing at with them to realize that I, they weren't laughing with me, right? Mm. They were laughing at me. But we put those things aside, right? We, we tuck those things away as our self-preservation. We hide it. We tuck it. It's gone. It's a baggage. And we don't let those things oppress us. And then we work harder and harder to reach whatever that success, the Asian culture 
tells us we're supposed to do. And, and culturally, that is what we do. And when I say that we're silent, it's because our parents and older generations, and this is so true for so many Asians out there, is that they don't tell you to not have a voice. They tell you not to make noise. And there's a difference, right? There's a difference. And I feel like right now, we're asked to make noise. Mm-hmm. You're right. And and the fact of the matter is there are our parents. And I think this is the, the issue is like people don't know Asian American history. And they don't know that our story here is so different. It's basically two different time points in which we came to this country. It was 120 years ago when uh, Chinese migrant workers were brought to this country, when Filipinos were brought to this country. Uh, and then there was also the Chinese Exclusion Act that, that blocked immigration from Asian countries to this country. And then the reopening in 1965, right? And so with the hard seller act. So people don't know Asian American history and the fact that our time here is so short in comparison to many other communities of color. Uh, and furthermore, on top of that is the fact that we don't share a common language and we've never really been able to build our own identity. And when you're coming here and you're, and you're, and you don't know the language, you don't know the culture, you don't, um, and you're put in areas where all your professionalism is, you know, especially when you're coming over, you're doctor, lawyer, engineer, which is the brain drain that came over from, from Asia. And you come here and you're no longer the same, having the same prestige and you have to start all over. It becomes a matter of survival, putting a roof over the head for your children, uh, putting food on the table. And so the priorities are different as opposed to now, I believe that why we have such an obligation to speak up is the fact that we saw that our parents made that struggle. We have to embrace and accept and, and thank them for that. But also that means that we have, it is incumbent on us and absolutely critical that we don't stay silent, that we learn and we, and we, we've, we, we learn black history. We learn the history of, of indigenous people in this country. We learn the history of the Latinx community. We learn the history of, 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 of Muslim Americans in this country or, or those from the Middle East. Like, and we learn our own damn history, right? And, and so once we learn all of that, then it's on us to then turn around to our community members and have those challenging conversations and call out the fact that we do have anti-blackness in our community. We do have colorism within our community. We do have a tendency to lean into white, white, um, to, uh, to white people and white, um, white supremacy in this country. And we have to accept that and embrace it and tackle it head on. Otherwise, we will continue to also cap ourselves and allow the model minority myth in the bamboo ceiling to exist above our heads. And, that, and you're so right about that. And what you mentioned about how that we are a community of, of diversity within our own community. And that struggle being Chinese American, Korean American, Vietnamese American, they all have different culture and different reasoning how they found this place to be the American dream, right? We know from Vietnam, they travel both months and months. I have friends who are refugees and I didn't go through that journey when I came to the United States. I came on a plane. I was privileged and grateful enough that we can get on a plane and get here. Now, we did land in Terry Hill, Indiana, in the middle of the whitest supremacy world that you can ever be in, where the Grand Wizard actually reside at the time. It, 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 it was because of ignorance that my whole family was able to actually make it through that time. And you're right. My father was a photographer, renowned in Asia. When he came here, he couldn't do that. He had to resort back into the kitchen and do the most common demonitor manual labor in order to provide for the family. But what's interesting what you said is this, that 
the generation of generations of parents really try to install in all of us to be successful, whether that's doctor, whether whatever career that may be. But what I begin to see is this shift in second generation Americans and then third generation Americans. These three tiers of, of group of Asian Americans have elitism, colorism within itself. You know, I can tell you that many Asian Americans in the fashion industry that I have approached to do collaboration, and and I will bring the notion that it would not be amazing to make a note that as an Asian American team working together, inclusively all Asian team, including the model, people in front of the camera, behind the camera. And I can tell you that I have heard this, and I'll quote, what do you mean I'm Asian? I'm Canadian. Mm. And when I'm looking at a person that has the same color eyes as me, same skin tone as me, who I celebrated and cherished because he himself had made it to a pinnacle of his career. And I celebrated him because he's Asian. And he gave me, a, a, it gave me the hope. But when I had that conversation with him, it shocked me to the core. And, and it wasn't until during this time that I reflect back on that and said, I got to make sure I begin to have a voice for my community first. You got to do what's near you, help your neighborhood, help your community first before you can expand outward. And, and that will always stay with me. That stays, that, that hurt me actually to the core. It, it, it's when you put people on a pedestal, often they, um, they manage to push himself off before you push them off. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact is I really wanted to push them off myself, but, mm-hmm. but it's, and, and then and on the same notion, the climate is changing. And I have seen this particular person now waving the Asian flag and celebrating. And mm-hmm. I hope, truly, from the core of my heart, I can forgive him for what he said to me. Mm-hmm. And that he has grown, because we're all learning through this process, that he has grown and accept who he is. Because we, collectively, you and I, both went through that journey. We had to find the time that's right for us to accept who we are, right? Who we are to the core. And before the community can accept us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's the biggest thing is like, I've, I've come to a point where I stopped trying to be who I thought everybody wanted me to be. And I stopped trying to be accepted by other people. And I found my voice. So, you know, for myself, it was this really long, difficult journey of figuring out my why, what was my purpose in my life? What was what drives me? Why am I doing things? Right? Why do I care? Uh, which then helped me find my identity, which then once I figured out my identity and who I am and I embraced that, then it helped me find my destiny, which is what the path that I'm on right now. And that also means that I have to constantly check myself, right? That like, I am not someone that is uh, going to not going to make mistakes. And so when someone does point that out, that my immediate reaction isn't to say, whoa, 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 and start making excuses and get defensive, which is what I used to do all the time, but actually take that step back, listen, hear, and then actually consider what they're saying to me. And, and one of those ways was when I started first speaking out about the Asian American community, I was speaking about it from such an East Asian privileged point of view that's more um, white passing that I didn't realize uh, that I was, in, in fact, ignoring or not re- recognizing the difficulties and challenges of what it's like to be Southeast Asian or South Asian um, and and and. And what that, that I never understood what that community went through. I just assumed because I'm AAPI and that they were all Asian American. So again, it was like being called out being, and then having to listen and sit there and understand that, oh my God, I thought I knew everything just because I'm Asian American, but the reality is I don't. 
And the reality is there's still so much learning that we have to do. Well, I know that for a fact that I've been called out ever since I started putting myself in a public forum of IG and doing Let's Talk. And having guests like Lisa Ling, who I absolutely respect, simply said to me, my responsibility is not just having a platform to, to showcase my work. And it's actually use a platform for the better, for greater. And one of the reason, main reason that you're here is because somebody like her, who I always seem to be my hero, continue to champion for what Asian American communities are responsible for, for their own actions, and then making movements that would change, change, right? Will make changes for the future. And she, in a way, made me realize and promise that I will continue to do that. And, and, and I may not set myself 100% of who I am yet, but along the way, I am Asian American. I need to recognize it. And that itself is a really a huge hurdle because for my upbringing, being an Asian American was not a positive notion whatsoever, right? I grew up and I went to high school where there was only two other Asians and one was my brother. And when he left that school, there was only one other Asian and it was predominantly Latinos. And, and there was no acceptance in my culture that I know when I had a bento box and rice in it that's packed by my mom, I better hide behind a tree and eat it. And in fact, 99% of the time, I was eating with literally on the farm. We have FFA, Future Farmers America Club at our school. And I, I would eat with the pigs and the cattle. And they won't, they were, that, that was the place to be. And, 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 you know, those things really do come back and haunt you later. And, and then you do realize, wait a minute, why didn't I speak up then? Well, it's because nobody gave me that strength and hope. When I turned on the television, I didn't see anybody who's like me that's champion for that. In the last 20 years, what do we have? Crazy rich Asians. So I get calls from my friends going, I didn't know Asians are funny. And then you get <laughs> Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon all of a sudden. Do you know Kung Fu? Right? It, it's getting even more racist as we go. So mm -hmm. it's interesting to see how do we get Asian representation without the racism and stereotype built within it. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is is pure is ignorance and and representation and like a lot of it is opportunity and when we are it's like the way I kind of describe being Asian American in this country is we're often led into the room we're led into the room because of the model minority myth and sometimes we get a seat at the table maybe maybe we get to raise our hand right we get to raise our hand maybe we even get called on don't get listened to but there's usually only room for one of us, which means that when there's two people that are trying, and then you start, you know, it, it's cannibalizing each other. The difference is that we're led into the room. The difference is that we are able to kind of hear the decision-making and have a, have a closer proximity to power, which does allow privileges. Now, again, this is different depending on, um, you know, your identity. And, and you know, as a, for me, I'm, I'm, six, I'm nearly six foot two. Uh, you know, I clearly speak English very well. I'm, I'm like, you know, East Asian. So definitely I have a different degree of privileges um, than say, you know, maybe someone who is uh, an Asian, a API woman, Southeast Asian, Asian American woman who um, may be more introverted. Right. And so all those things are playing into the way that we, we present ourselves. And I've seen, you know, how we will push each other out of the way that, that, that competition that I have to be the one to succeed instead of realizing, holy shit, 
instead of just trying to figure out only one of us can sit here, why don't we just completely change the table and make sure everyone gets to see the table? That we actually have representation um, where all of us have a seat at the table and that there's equity, right? Not like that you cannot have equality without equity. And that's something that is so important. And, and, and knowing that all Asian are alike, right? The notion that all Asian look alike, but okay, fine. Not true. <laughs> Number one. Number two, that, that we're not a collective whole as one. You know, it's like, for me, it's so far to hear somebody say, well, we have one Asian already in on this show or whatever well, that sees already filled. But for me, I break it down. I'm like, wait, but he's Korean. There still should be room for a Chinese or Taiwanese like me, mm-hmm. but that's not how the entertainment world sees things, right? Mm-hmm. There, you know, I see that in casting when we do shows or we do photo shoots and we put people on the magazines. It's it's so generalized. It's just it's Asian boom group right there. But yet, when you go out, you look for sushi one day and you look for compound chicken the other day, and they're not the same. So I don't understand how come you can enjoy the food diversity, but you cannot love the human diversity. Well, well, clearly they understand it, right? It's just whether you choose to, uh, willful ignorance. So, for example, Mulan, right? Mulan, they, they realize, okay, you know, we're going to have to have all an all Asian cast, but then the entire production team, the entire casting, like everything is white, right? And so then now they don't realize, wait, why are you angry? Well, it's like you didn't give people opportunities. Um, you didn't allow for others, other other people to to take those jobs and, and be present and, and be able to, you know, give them an opportunity. Instead, you box people in because of stereotypes and you aren't willing to do the hard work of unlearning. You aren't willing to have those conversations. So oftentimes I feel like America, even, you know, this isn't just rural South America, you know, Southern America, um, you know, but this is up North, especially to here in Boston, West in California, Hollywood is that people delude themselves and say that we are, we're at the final stages of eradicating ra- racism, but we haven't even started the conversation yet. So we're not even at stage one. So if we have, aren't even talking about racism in the way that it should be, how are you going to sit there and tell me that we're almost at the end of fixing it? That, that when we, I've, I've, the amount of panels I've sat on, the amount of uh, conversations I've been a part of, where at the end of it, people are patting themselves on the back. I'm like, we just had a conversation but what systemic changes did we actually see from this? Did we actually see more equity be handed out? Did we actually see systemic change happen? Did we actually change hearts and minds outside of the ones who are willing and wanted to be a part of this conversation? What about all the people in our program or school or our institutions that should be in this conversation that chose not to be here? Right? So we don't, we don't look at it holistically and, and we try to uh, skirt past and say, Oh, I'm not a part of the KKK. I, I didn't say the N word or uh, I'm a little bit better. Right. Or um, I did some reading and oh, I'm good. But you don't have those conversations with your family and friends. You don't ha- you have even that conversation with yourself. So how can you say that we've actually made any changes? Well, we can't make those changes without further education. That's number one. Right. And I, I, I face that every single day. People ask me, why do I do Let's Talk? And I say, well, every day I have a new teacher in front of me. And you are one today, Sam. And I'm listening and, and watching your work. It, it, makes me, it makes me check myself and keep myself accountable that, well, what are we here for, right? What, having 
half a million followers. What good is that if you're just going to sell makeup and hair, right? This is one of the things that I face. We had this conversation a little bit earlier and for those are listening that I, I, I have a love and hate for social media, the word influencer. Because if you're a true influencer right now, you would use that power and the strength that built on the back of people like me who liked your pictures, yes, who supported you and became major influencers. And I'm calling out the Asian American especially because you have a community that's so hard to, to, to garner in the United States. When you have millions of followers, you're Asian American, stop just promoting makeup and skincare. We're not just Korean pop culture products. You have a voice. You have a place to speak and make noise. And if you don't know what kind of noise to make, reach out to people who are suffering and ask them what they want their story told. That's my biggest frustration. And one of the things that you and I talked about, why did I ask you to come on the show? And I said, well, because there's so many great people like you who have the right voice, and the right noise, doesn't get the platform and doesn't get the opportunity to share that. and makes me so literally angry at people who have so much opportunity and chances to make a difference. And I'm calling you out not because I'm angry at you anymore. I'm calling you out because I learned that now, right? The last four months, I have learned, no. Yes, I can always celebrate my art and people love my art and that's a privilege I get to do and I thank you guys for supporting. But at the same time, why can we not take our platform built on the back of you guys who literally says, heart, love me, to give the opportunity back by sharing the conversation that we're having today and you and, 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 and not selling products for once. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also for those who can't really see my shirt, but my shirt says "Hate is a virus." So you know, I'm I'm with the Hate is a virus uh, team and family, and that's one of the things we we try to do is amplify voices, right? And I think as Asian Americans, we have to also recognize the fact that Black people and the and the and the Black struggle has paved the way for us to a be here, b have a lot of opportunities, and also. The fact that they were, were so supported by, by the black community. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on TikTok and I made a video recently about there was an 89 year old grandmother in Delsonhurst, Brooklyn. And, and there were these two, these, I don't even know what words, cowards, right? Just cowards who went up to her with kerosene in their pockets and they tried to light her on fire. And, that video kind of went viral. TikTok definitely suppressed it. That's just a, you know, looks a little bit of a conspiracy theory on my end. But what the most duet, the, the, the largest group that duetted that video and were supporting that video and were furious about that video were black people. Black people were constantly showering, um, duetting and making sure, that, and they were furious. And then for us right now to to not recognize, and, well, and I see a lot, well, how does that benefit the Asian Americans? Who cares? Who cares if it benefits you? The real thing is the fact that it's the right thing to do. It is a bare minimum for us right now to speak up, to educate ourselves, and to be allies. And and so for the, for it's like this idea of like transactional. Why is fighting for someone's humanity transactional? Why is that something that needs justification? It should just be the fact that you see somebody hurting. You see a community. You see a group of people. You see, um, you know, friends, family, neighbors that are that are that are clear, crying out for help or 
450 years. There should be no, well, I need, I need a good reason to stick my neck out and, and say something. No, get your ass out there, learn. And, and, and because for us, we get to pick and choose when we fight. But for black people, they do not have that. They don't, are not afforded that at all. But there's a notion always that would never happen to us. That would never, I'm not them, therefore it won't happen to us. Well, it's happening to everyone. It's happening on, on, the, on the humanity base, and we are unity as a whole. So, and I understand that, and I completely, I think for everyone, the journey is so very different, right? Mm-hmm. For me, when Black Lives Matter hit the ground hard, yes, I want to stand up and celebrate. I wanted to, to, to join the march. And then I got really confused. Right, because then I was an agent for Black Lives Matters, and I go, okay, that sounds great too. Now, what am I, what am I marching for? Because um, three months ago, I see videos of Asian people wearing masks being persecuted by by different communities, and and where were they to support the Asian community? Nobody was. People were just like, oh, look what happened to that old man got beat up. Look at that grandma got beat up because she's wearing masks. Oh, they're diseased ones. But because we're living in this such a weird time warp that things happen from here to from point A to point B within split of a second, mm-hmm. that I had a hard time personally to process because I know it, it's it's not right to think it's a generalization of these two people did something wrong that happened to be black people. Therefore, why should I stand up for the black people? Black Lives Matter. No, not that ignorant. But emotionally, I had to figure out where I stand, and then, like you said. I begin to call my friends, right? I literally call my black friends and I just said, guys, tell me where do you want me to stand with you? Side by side with you, behind you, in front of you, where do I belong? Mm-hmm. And that my, and my friend is Jay and you know, was on top model with me. I, we, we literally talked every single night because I was so frustrated. And he said to me by the fourth day, he goes, you already figured it out. You're talking about it. And that's what we want people to do. If you don't know, keep talking, keep asking the questions. And, mm-hmm. and that was a huge learning for me, right? I had to take away my own self-hate, a whole self-prejudice against the event I seen that I think is applicable to me. And it affected my journey, how I should stand side by side for what's right. And you're absolutely right. When it comes to humanity, why is there something that you need a receipt for? Why do you need to ask for a receipt? Yeah, and, and I, I want to just be very, very clear. When I'm, when I'm saying, you know, c- calling the Asian American community and other communities, you know, that are not black to speak up, I'm, I'm not trying to also ignore the struggles, right? Like, for instance, the Asian Americans have the largest wealth gap in the country. Uh, you know, in New York City, Asian Americans also make up the largest proportion, um, community of, that is living under po- in poverty. Uh, we have, you know, significant, significant um, issues that the Asian American community is struggling with, particularly, uh, you know, there's many in the Chinese community, Southeast Asian community, um, and, and so- even South Asian community, like all over, right? So it's not to, to ignore or silence the fact that we don't have issues, but it's the fact that Black liberation, liberating Black people is the number one thing we have to do first. That's where, that's where it starts because all of our oppression is rooted in anti-blackness. And so once we eliminate anti-blackness, then everything else will start to resolve itself, right? And, and it's, it's those things that I think people have to recognize and that 
Um, but it's really hard when most people are looking at the world through the lens of my, how does this impact me? This, you know, how is this going to change my life? Not realizing that on, on a macro level, on a holistic level, that by looking at it from that way, you're actually going to be elevating your own life and your own life standards. And, and you know, it's, it's a really hard thing. But there's also another thing that I want to point out, you brought up a really good point, which was when you're talking to Miss J, is if, it's, if the, the decision comes down to whether or not you want to, you want to make a statement, you want to speak out, but you're afraid of being wrong, then speak out and be wrong. Be wrong, be corrected, make the, um, you know, be called in, make the adjustments, and then go back out there and speak again, right? And, and just keep going out there and going up. We are at war right now. This is war. Um, and so when you're at war, you're going to get tired. You're going to get exhausted. You're going to get wounded. You're going to feel dejected. You're going to feel hopeless. And when that happens, go back to the infirmary, go recover, rest up, patch yourself up, make the adjustments, pick up your weapon again and go back out there and you keep fighting. And that's the only way we're going to see change because we should not be having the same exact conversation 60 years from now, 60 years from now, it should be a very, very different conversation. My hope is faster than that, right? Your sure hope is faster than 60 years. And, you know, one of the things that people are afraid to speak up is because the cancel culture is so prevalent right now, right? People are worried that if they say one thing wrong, their career is over. And and I think it's, it, to me, it's, it is a scary place for a lot of public figures. And because I definitely, like, I look around and I look at all these amazing influencers and celebrities I work with, and I scratch my head and say, where are they right now? Where are they? Why are they not stepping up? And because the cancel culture is so fearful, it's so scary for them, right? Before it was TMZ, just kind of blast you and you, whatever. 24 hours of pop culture news is over. Now people want to cancel you. But I think for me, I went through that same journey, right? Being in public eye for so long, there are things I have done that I am not personally proud of. There are things I've, I've done appropriate for that period of time, inappropriate for now. And, and I, I find that we have to give people the opportunity to have their own atonement, number one, to let them own up to it themselves, right? We call out people for credit for, for their, their, their accountability, but allow others to take their own accountability first before we bring the hammer down and canceling them. I think mm. that is so important because that fear of being canceled silenced so many people and they're afraid to make mistakes. And you're right. But how do we learn is by making mistakes. Two things. Number one, I think it's because they're being cowards. Number one. Number two, it's, it's um, you have to be willing to be held, being held accountable and, and not wanting to be held accountable. So when you make a mistake, when, when you're really apologetic, you, you say, I'm sorry, you, you, you make adjustments, um, and, that, and then you, you, you hold yourself accountable, and then you show not through the words or a letter or a, a video or you know, words, but you show through your actions that you learned. And, and then people, you're giving people the opportunity. They have the option of whether or not they want to forgive you or not. But at the end of the day, are you doing it for their forgiveness or are you doing it because you genuinely care and you want to become a better person? And people will see that. And that's the difference between um, someone being canceled and not canceled. The people who end up getting canceled are the ones who take zero accountability, make a BS apology, and don't make any changes. But the people, other people who have made mistakes, they come out and they clearly show that they have 
uh, made changes are then able to be go back out there and do the job that you do. But it's like, don't go hide. That's only going to anger people more and justify that they were right to want to cancel you. Um, because you don't want to make those changes. You don't want to be better. You don't want to learn. And so again, it comes down to wanting to be uncomfortable because you want to be a better person and, and wanting to take, take accountability for the mistakes. You Look, I am sure that I have said things and done things that are wrong and, and stupid. And, and, and I'm sure that I will in the future, but at the end of the day, if I, I have to be held accountable, otherwise we're not growing and we're not becoming a better person. How do we begin as a community make these changes out there? How do we ignite the community and, and, and unify the community so that we can make positive change? Mm. I think some of it is, A, looking within ourselves and being introspective and, and, and checking our own biases, right? Like understanding that, you know, being anti-racist, as in the words of Dr. Ibram Kendi, is, is a lifelong journey. Uh, and, and it's something that we have to consistently be working on and checking our biases because no matter what we want to say, like, we're constantly being influenced by either microaggressions or, you know, rhetoric or um, just experiences. You know, you may have a negative experience with somebody and, and, and you may start to find yourself become jaded. So again, it's checking yourself first and foremost. And then secondarily is, is, is having grace for other people and, and being patient with them and wanting to educate them. And this again, mostly goes for people who are not black. Right. Uh, and also stop going to black people and using them as emotional trash cans and taking your guilt down and say, I'm so, I did all these things wrong. Please forgive me. And like, and Oh my God, I didn't know that all these things were happening to you. It's like, they know, they know what's going on in their own community. You don't need to remind them. Um, and, and, and secondarily it was, is continue to educate yourself. You know, there's so much literature out there. There's so much education out there. Black people have put it literally put out all the resources for us to learn and read. So go and do the work yourself. Um, and then, and then third is to just is consistently, uh, apply that into your own life. Whether if you are someone that likes to talk a lot, like I, I have, I will not shut up, uh, which drives my friends and family crazy. Um, I'll keep talking. That's my medium. That's my skill set. If you are an artist, if you, if you have a skill, use that. If if you are, you know, if you have a platform like yourself, you know, with uh, you know nearly six hundred thousand followers, use that platform. If you know, if you see, if you are in a position of power, especially if you are in a position of power, you are a CEO, and you see that your board of directors is not diverse, right? Don't do it for the sake of making it diverse. Do it for the sake of actually giving equitable power to those people, right? Don't have, don't, don't, don't bring, um, don't have like a, a, a team meeting, company meeting, ask all the black people how they feel about, uh, you know, the company's culture, let them talk and then go, um, didn't really like how that felt. Thank you for what you said. We're not going to make any changes. No, don't do that. Don't just hire somebody, um, and elevate them in the company just because you want to turn out and then, and then project it. Do it because that you actually believe in what they're doing. Do it because you actually value them for the work that they're doing instead of um, thinking, of, oh, I'm giving you charity. No, it's you're giving them space because that's what they deserve. There's a big, big difference. And I, I could not echo that more. And that, that is so reflective of our my business in the fashion industry, right? We're seeing magazines are starting to replace editor-in-chief. And I shouldn't say replace. They happily resign and somebody else comes in, uh, uh, people of color. And that's great. I, I, I love celebrating that. But what you said is so very important is that it is putting people that qualify in those positions. The people who rightfully deserve to be there 
long ago that wasn't given the opportunity, right? And mm-hmm. and and then we hear this in my industry a lot. Well, we did try to get more black models, but then they they you, like we couldn't find them. Oh no, <laughs> you didn't look in the right direction, or you didn't want to look in the right direction. And those excuses are no longer allowed. And then I was talking to someone I. I can't do that's a huge publication, right? They're they're the powerhouse and they have their own internal struggles and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Why did it take for you guys to be woken up and say, yes, when I look around this room in a communist office, there's not enough voices from diverse people of color. And not just talk about black people, Asian people. Anyway, if you are Asian, if you're black and you sit in a position of power, please recognize what you are doing and what you can do for other people of color, because given the opportunity, you know what, if you truly believe that there's not enough co- people of color to be able to rise to that position, problems on you not educating them from the start, not given the opportunity from the start and building them. And I know that, right? For me, I'm now, I, my producer and I, we talk about this all the time, I say, listen, when we go back to work, we need to make sure we are giving opportunities the people who rightfully deserve those opportunities and they were never given the opportunity. The talented, amazing black photographers, they should be shooting these magazines. And listen, thank God that somebody at Continent woke up and said, oh, we, we, we're going we we're gonna to make that swing of the pendulum really quick so people still buy our magazine. Let's get a black actress on the cover and let's hire a black photographer to shoot it. Okay, pat ourselves on that. We finally did something right. Of why did it take this long to have this conversation? That what makes me angry. See, you got me mad. Now you got me mm-hmm. mad. <laughs> <laughs> um, Those are the things that people are afraid to talk about in our industry. Because by talking like this, I don't know Connie Ness will hire me on the next job, right? And they'll be fine. <laughs> they'll be fine. I'll still be around. But you know, the, the fact is that these are what hurts me to realize I've been part of the system. Mm-hmm. I've been part of the system because I show up every day to photograph people, not, not reminding them I'm showing up because I'm Asian, I'm American, and I come from that perspective. When I photograph them, I am photographing for my soul of an Asian human being because I've lost myself along the way. Mm-hmm. And this time is different. And this time will always be different. And there are publications like Sports Illustrated that I work with with Sun Tzu, has always been inclusion about age, color, and sizes of people. And those are the, the publications I champion behind. And I encourage every one of my clients I still work with to make sure they evaluate. It's not just a hashtag and a trend for this moment. It should have been a conversation from the very beginning. And I think something that's also really important to recognize, too, is that, you know, Black people are not helpless. Black people are incredibly strong and resilient. And uh, and I think it's, you know... It's not charity out, work, you guys. Yeah, we need to get out of this mindset of like, oh, oh, now we're helping that. No, no, it's just getting out of the way and listening and, and seeing and valuing from the very beginning and, 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 and truly understanding the contributions and the talent of a community that has been constantly ignored and silenced and... and and discriminated against, right? So I think that's a, a big mindset is like, okay, let me check my elitism. Let me check my biases. Let me check my, uh, you know, ways, things I have to unlearn and these lenses I have to, you know, shed for myself and realize that like, I'm not, you know, speaking for them. I am just getting out of the way and I'm listening. Um, and, and that, you know, those are 
those are conversations that, you know, I'm very fortunate to have people who are really close in my life that have shown me a lot of love, um, that are black women. And, um, you know, they don't, they don't love when I, you know, uh, I don't, I'm not gonna say their full names, but like, um, but you know, they've, they've, they've yelled at me and they've called me in and they've been like, Sam, that was wrong. And, 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 I, and I, it's on me to listen to them and just actually care and, um, and if I get all this information and I don't go out and I try to apply and if I don't go out and try to, uh, you know, to have these conversations with other people, then like, can I really turn around and say that I love them? Um, you know, I have nieces and nephews, uh, who are half black, half Korean. My brother-in-law uh, is a, is a black man. And like, if I'm not educating myself and checking myself and making sure that my behavior is, is not, is not, um, one that is of loving and understanding and, and fighting for them, then how can I look them in the eyes and tell them I love them? Uh, and, and so for me, it just becomes down to like, what we are doing is not heroic. What we are doing is not special. What we are doing does not make us better or, or, um, or more righteous, but what we're doing is the bare minimum. And what we're doing, this is our moral responsibility just to see people for their humanity and to make space for them and treat them equally. Like those are just, basic human behaviors that we are, um, that, that like that black people are, 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 are demanding right now. And the fact that like, they shouldn't have to be superhuman or above and beyond or extraordinary just to get a, an opportunity where other people, no offense, white people who are mediocre at their jobs continuously get these opportunities over and over and over again. And then the standards are held at very, very differently. Absolutely. Well, it's so important that you are putting those voices out there. And it's so important that we have to constantly remind the Asian American community, the voices that we have. And, and the voice that you have is voting, guys. You do have that power. And that is something that I've been getting behind and celebrating. I was talking to Michelle Kwan the other day. And she's part of the Biden campaign. And I'm not here having a political platform, guys. Don't DM me and start telling me you want to vote for what. I'm simply letting you know that to have a voice... You have one that nobody can take away from you, and that's voting. I don't care who you vote for. Show up. Show up, but don't complain if you don't show up. Don't complain. You have to. And that's a lesson I had to learn, right? I, like you said, the elitism of the West Coast and the East Coast, the coastal states, we're like, well, doesn't matter. It's fine. We're, we're fine because, you know, it's, that, that stuff doesn't happen to us. Well, it is happening to on the coastal states as well. And do you want justice? You want you want change? You want reform? Well, start with that one vote that you have. And I encourage the AAPI community, please go out there. Find the resources. If you can go to polling places, if you can vote early, do so. And continue to have these conversations among each other. And continue to talk about, about it. Because for me, honestly, I'll tell you this. In order for me to go from from anger and not to hate, is to talk about it. And yes, I'm like you. I don't stop talking. And because if I do, I will start hating. <laughs> so, so yes, for each one of you guys out there, I find your path to find that that compassionness in you. Because at the end of the day, Sam, you're absolutely right. We talk about humanity. That's it. Humanity, nothing else. I, I don't care what your political platform is. I don't care what zip code that you lived at. Nowhere will you go. There's a common decency that we need to have again, right? And and we're fighting for that in a, in, 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 in this platform with AIPI community. But 
like you said earlier, if we cannot find that equality and that, that safety for the black community, where do you think we're going to be as Asian Americans down the road? Where are we going to be? And you have a choice to make that difference. Absolutely. And, you know, the census is so important, right? And it impacts so many different levels of the community. It, you're dealing with $1.5 trillion in federal funding that is going to directly into your community just for filling it out. And this is the most secure data set that is out there. And so it cannot be used. Um, it has, and, and there has been controversial use of, of, of the census data in the past. Um, so I, I do want to you know, speak correctly on this in terms of, you know, Japanese concentration camp. We don't, I've, I've recently learned, thank you to Tracy Kat, uh, Kato Kiriyama uh, from Nikki Progressives, who, who corrected me on this, that it's not Japanese internment camps, it is Japanese concentration camps. Mm -hmm. So against Japanese, um, Japanese Americans who were thrown into concentration camps, and then furthermore uh, against Muslim Americans following 9-11. However, uh, the data set is also the most secure data set and is so important in order to bring resources into your neighborhood. So just fill it out have conversations with people to fill it out and go out there and vote. Your vote matters. Here's the thing. In, Ma in Boston, Massachusetts, a city council race, in a, in a city of over 700,000 residents, the city council race was, was won by a single vote. So do not think that your vote doesn't matter. Do not think that your vote, um, it, doesn't, it doesn't make a difference. And because you also want to make a statement too. That is your way of making a statement. And right now, in this presidential election, it is not just the next four years. It is potentially next 30 to 50, even longer, because it's not just the president, president that's holding the Oval Office. It is the decision that they make in terms of uh, Supreme Court decisions, um, nominees, lower circuit court nominees, the way that um, they can impact the way that Congress is pushing legislation, the way that uh, you can impact the way that state and local, local governments are impacting legislation. So who is in the Oval Office matters. They're not a king, they're not a queen, but they, it does matter in the terms in terms of where the direction of this country is going. And also, this president did not create racism in this country, but this president allowed racists to speak up and speak out without any fear of retribution. And so that he has empowered and emboldened racism racists in this country, and we are seeing it on a much more uh, over way than when before it was much more covert and so that is the danger of us not speaking up and not speaking out and not using our voices to, together and that i don't give a shit if you're in a blue state you vote your vote your vote matters i hear that loud and clear because i was I didn't think it mattered so heard well do and well spread the word and champion for the community to to really really do their part and that's something that, that we're, we're learning and, and for those who, what you mentioned earlier that I want to echo is that what every single one of us have ability to make this place better. Whether you're an artist, that you can create art that celebrates inclusion. Whether you're a writer, put out stories out there. Right now, the world is your platform. You don't need to rely on social media. You don't need to rely on... You can have a podcast tomorrow if anybody's listening tomorrow you right now. You can create your own culture, your own podcast. Spread the word and talk to people. I think, you know, that is so important. And I'm, I'm again, so grateful to have found you through social media and I'm so grateful for the voices that you've been having out there. And some of the conversations are 
uh, so in depth, and they 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 they're sad me to the core because they truly bring out the reality that sometimes we don't want to know and we don't want to hear. But I appreciate you being out there to continue to do that, and thank you for celebrating and giving voices one of the voices for the Asian Americans out there because you're right. Not many of us are are the type that will scream on a mountaintop and. And for those who don't, you have other talents that you can exercise and, and support the community. Absolutely. And I, I really appreciate, you know, lending me your platform uh, to come here and speak and speak my truth and, you know, have be able to reach a much broader audience. And I, and I invite you back. I, 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 we, can have, we can have hours and hours of conversation on different subjects. <laughs> I, I, I honestly have to say that I'm so glad I met you that we're going to be friends. We're going to be friends for life. And, and, and I want to be able to not only extend my love of the platform to you, but anyone that gets that I have interviewed in the, in the past that is someone that you wish to reach out to or anyone that you think that is my clients or people you think I may be able to help you connecting them, connecting the dots, I will be here for you. What I can do for you to amplify hate is a virus. I will do so because I'm learning that anger becomes hate. So I'm going to keep smiling so I don't build the hate. And along the way, I will connect you with anything you need. Thank you. And I just you know want to you know give another plug that is not. I'm not the only one that is speaking up. There are so many activists that are out there, such as Asian American Advancing Justice. There is a task here in Boston. There is. Uh, ACDC here in Boston is BCNC, um, the Asian American Commission of which I am a commissioner. Out in California, you got KACLA, you have uh, Nikkei Progressives, you have so many different organizations that are out there that are doing unbelievable work. Uh, and then there's a lot of young people who are just doing such amazing work. But we also can't forget the older generation that have been paving and pounding the pace. So we have to also make sure that they we make space for them to be at the table, for them to um, be celebrated and thanked. Because without their sacrifice, we would not be able to be here. Um, you know, if my mom didn't didn't work three, four jobs, you know, if my mom didn't uh, take the racial abuse, if my mom didn't, uh, you know, do everything in her power to make sure that I had the opportunities that I did, if she if she didn't, you know, love me in the way that she did, there's no way I would be able to be here. Um, and if my friends and family, you know, so again, like it's there's nothing that we ever do by ourselves. Uh, there's nothing that we, we can ever accomplish by ourselves. And the only way we're ever going to eradicate hate and, and create actual racial justice and equality and equity and love in this country, in this world, is if we collectively understand that we have to come together and build those bridges and make sure that we are fighting together and, and, and seeing each other for the humans that we are and loving one another for the humans that we are. Thank you, Sam, for your bravery to speak up and for your unwavering dedication for our community. We see you, we hear you, we stand with you. Thank you to all my listeners for your constant support. Please subscribe to this podcast for more open conversations. You can visit our website at letstalkwithusite.com and follow me at Instagram at usite88 for updates. Let's Talk is a production of 88 Faces. I'm your host, Usai. Our director, Luis Jaime, and writer, editor, and producer, Trevor Swinjen. Thank you for this conversation. 